Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Yusuf Ahmed Rimawi, Nasser Mashni and Robert Martin. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. Our guest this week will be Miss Suzanne Shalabi uh, from the Palestine Football Association uh, from Ramallah uh, speaking uh, to us uh, about the qualification of the Palestinian football team to the next Asian Cup in Emirates. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Nasser. Morning, Yusuf. How are you doing? I'm excellent. And um, our friend Robert is away on a special mission. Special mission we'll share with our listeners in the future. Maybe later. And in the meantime, we have um, in our episode this week, the main topic uh, is uh, the... Palestinian victory in in sport and Palestine has qualified for the second time in a row to the Asian World Confederation. So Mabrook. Yeah, yeah, to all our listeners. Our listeners will remember 2015 when the uh, the tournament was in Australia. Unfortunately, it's not going to be in Australia this time, but uh, it's in Dubai, I think, in 2019. And of course, uh, most of you and I and uh, many of our uh, m- members of the Palestinian community and Australian supporters supported the Palestinian team when it came and played in Australia. So we're looking forward to watching. It was like, it was like a home game. It was like a home game, yes. <clears throat> and I remember two Irish guys, because they were reading the Irish jerseys, non-stop singing for Palestine. You know what non-stop means yeah. for 90 minutes? 90 minutes singing for Palestine in Melbourne Stadium in Amy's Park. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to that, we're going to speak to Miss um, uh, Suzanne Shelby mm-hmm. from the Palestine Football Association. Uh, but I believe also you. But have first, yeah, we've had we've had a win, Yusuf. So um, the Royal Flying Doctor Service, in fact, we should go back two steps from that. Um, Michael Baird, who's the New South Wales uh, Premier, he was touring Israel last year, and while he was there, he um, uh, did a deal with uh, Elbert Systems, and we know Elbert, you know, is a, the main military supplier to the Israeli Defence Forces. They produce eighty-five percent of the drones for the Israeli Defence Forces. They produce the surveillance equipment that sits on the apartheid wall. They produce phosphorus bombs that are used against the civilians in Gaza. I mean, this is a um, a company that, you know, its share price is dipped in blood and the blood of innocent Palestinian people. So Michael Baird was in New South Wales, uh, in Israel last year. And while he was there, he said, you know, we, we're going to, the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and this is a, a, a non-for-profit, honorable um, uh, Australian, Australian uh, company that provides... Yeah. Health care for Australians in remote areas for free. Um, they fly nurses and doctors and they do dental clinics to regional areas, to rural areas, to indigenous populations that don't have access to the normal infrastructure. That they did a deal for a $10 million 
um, simulator f- uh, facility in Dubbo so they could train their pilots, etc. Um, and obviously this is just outrageous for, for, for an <coughs> institution like the Royal Flying Doctor Service to be um, you know, seen to, to participate with Albert Systems, a, a murderous company uh, with blood on its hands. So the um, Palestine Support Network Association, which is a, a peak member body for, for BDS activism in Australia, issued a, a call and some petitions and were able to get you know, hundreds and thousands of signatures and that was sent to the Royal Flying Doctor Service, to the Michael Baird's office. We had doctors in support. Um, all sorts of uh, Australians were in support of that. And only this week, um, the, uh, the Royal Flying Doctor Service released an announcement and uh, they said, you know, our key, deci- our key motive is to, our main priority, excuse me, is improving the health outcomes of remote, rural and regional communities across New South Wales. And our decision is purely a business decision. So, uh, you know, one of the realities of BDS is no company ever says we listened to the boycott, divestment and sanctions campaign. You know, G4S, when they uh, withdrew from Israeli contracts, Veolia, Orange, um, all of these people always claim that it's purely business decision. But what we know is the fact that uh, when the Premier of the state of New South Wales, the biggest state in Australia, says to... Uh, you know, the Israeli Business Council or whatever it might be that uh, he, who, whom he was touring with in, in Tel Aviv, that we're going to do this deal for $10 million. And uh, it's all but done, but now been terminated. We know the power of BDS, the power of the people, to ensure that our institutions, mm. like the Royal Flying Doctor Service, are not complicit in Israeli occupation and crime. Fantastic. And as much as we value the ethics of this service, the Royal Flying Doctors, I think you have to be inconsistent with your ethics because ethics cannot be divided. You can't be ethical here and unethical there, and you can't uh, work with the criminals while doing a good job. No, absolutely. In Australia, and therefore, no. by uh, it's incongruous. You cannot connect the two. You cannot connect the two. And uh, congratulations for the Palestine uh, advocacy supporters. And uh, we're looking forward to continuing uh, this well, kind of. You uh, know, this is, this is you know continues to build on the momentum. You know, one of the things, and we we never really mm. spoke about it, Yusuf, but I'm, I'm sure you remember every year the you know the Hasbara campaigners they go crazy. You know, we've got to get. Um, every bit of uh, coverage we can into the American media. And one thing they do is they take NFL, the National Football League, the, mm. uh, uh, they fly them to, they fly them to, to Israel. The, paid, uh, the, first Ram, class. the Ram Bam Tour. You know, yeah, we're going to yeah, take you to yeah. Tel Aviv. You can see our ladies. You can come to our nightclubs and drink our coffee on the beaches. Mm. Well, six of the 11 teams last year, six of the 11 teams in February of this year mm. said, no, we're not going. Now, none of the teams said, we're not going because of BDS. And none of the teams said, we're not going because. But a very, very, very prominent player, Michael Bennett, who was a member of the winning team that won the, uh, the Super Bowl, he was very explicit. Mm. When, I, when I go to Israel, when I choose to, I'm going to Palestine. I'm going to visit Absolutely. Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Bethlehem. I'm going to do the tour I want, not some political tour which you are using to whitewash your occupation and crimes. And uh, I think uh, before we uh, start our interview with Miss Suzanne Shalabi, it's worth mentioning that Israel is using uh, international sports events to distract attention and to divert attention, uh, especially during warfare hostilities. And I give you two examples. The first example in 1982, the invasion of South Lebanon, Mm -hmm. and it was the second day of the World Cup, the Football World Cup, the biggest international sport event in history. 
and uh, the 2004 hostilities against Gaza it was also during the World Cup. And I don't think this was a coincidence. This was a well-tailored uh, uh, decision that uh, while everybody is busy watching uh, an international event, let's do the dirty work uh, in Lebanon or, or in Palestine. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, the, between uh, uh, Bush's lame, you know, the end of the Bush number two presidency and Obama's inauguration, you know, Operation Cast Lead mm. was launched late December because he got a lame duck president and a president is about to be inaugurated. Who would refused to issue any statement. Refused to issue any statement. Refused because I'm not in office yet. No. So for three weeks, you know, they went and killed mm. another Turkey shoot inside Gaza. So, so the timing of the hostilities yeah. is also a decision. Uh, uh, and it's not just yeah. it happens on its own. So uh, we're going to listen to an interview with uh, Ms. Suzanne Shalabi, the Vice President of the Palestine Football Association and a member of the Executive Committee of the Asian Football Confederation. Uh, Suzanne Shalabi will be with us soon via Skype. Stay with us and we will be back shortly. We are pleased to be joined via Skype from Ramallah, Palestine, with uh, Miss Suzanne Shalabi from the Palestinian Football Association. Suzanne, thank you very much for being with us this morning. You're welcome. Great to be with you today. Um, Suzanne, uh, first of all, congratulations for making it to the um, 2019 Asian Cup. Asian Cup, Palestine. Uh, of course, we want you to tell us about the, this victory, and um, from there we want to uh, uh, unpack the discussion about what it means to play sport and particularly football if you are under occupation. Mm-hmm. Well, it was it was very important for us to to be able to qualify. Uh, this is the second time we di- we did it. Uh, last year, that was in Australia, yes. if you remember. Nasser and I were uh, in, the, in, in yeah. the stadium. In, in fact, one of our proudest moments in Australia, I've got to say. Yes, indeed. Yes, when we, we qualified and then we played in Australia. We didn't do well in the Asian Cup uh, then. So I hope that this time, after qualification, we will use really use that experience we had playing with stronger teams to, to do better in Emirates this time. Well, so we are very proud. We are very proud that we can qualify. It, it's 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 a good step ahead. But now we want to move beyond that to really competing with the best of the teams. Before no. we get into the politics, mm. I mean the, the reality of the football team. It's you know the performance against in your in your group against the Maldives, Oman, and Bhutan. I mean, undefeated. You had a plus sixteen goal advantage. Uh, so it was a good form. You know, we beat Bhutan ten zero, and that's the happiest place on earth. But I don't mm-hmm. think after we beat them, maybe maybe Palestine was the happiest place on earth. So, well done. Yeah, I think people were very excited, you know, seeing the the team because you know for so many years since we started, uh, our, our fans got more disappointments than I count, and now finally we're starting to to move ahead and and actually uh, draw some some proud fans. 
what I felt is that people were proud of the team. They they trusted the team, and I hope that the team will do best based on that in Emirates. Uh, let, uh, let, let it's, it's very difficult, you know. Anyway, it's very difficult to lose on your uh, on your home pitch. But we that was the, the ten goals were were quite an achievement that I think will will uh, that was amazing. Will and carry the team on. And uh, Suzanne, you were you were talking about pride, and let me tell you. Uh, when I went to the Mel- Melbourne Stadium in 2015 and uh, watched and heard the Palestinian National Anthem, watched the flag fly high, uh, a month after Australia voted against a Palestinian state at the United Nations. So you're talking about ra- pride. This was one of the moments that all Palestinians worldwide were so much so proud of their uh, of their team and of course we will be prouder if uh, they they perform better next time yeah sure uh, f- f- uh, with australia it was the first time and we think we achieved something big there even though we didn't uh, do well on the pitch our achievement there was that we were able to raise the flag in a country that didn't know anything about palestine you know in australia uh, or, or as you say, uh, as Australians say it, down under. <laughs> uh, well, well, they they don't know much about what happens in the Middle East. Uh, they have never seen the Palestinian flag before, so uh, people were very. Yeah, I was surprised that that a lot of Australians were asking about the team, were curious about the team, were reading about the occupation, knew more about how it means to live in that situation. And, you know, a lot of them were shocked and surprised uh, that these things still happen in the world. They thought they, these, this thing ended with colonial times. And they were surprised to hear about the Palestinians and the suffering of Palestinians. So I think this, this was quite a big step. Indeed. Uh, Suzanne, tell us about uh, the players, how they play, where do they train, where do, how do they move from one city to, other, to another, uh, even within West Bank, uh, let alone uh, Gaza Strip. So uh, tell us w- uh, uh, what it means to play football under occupation. Oh, well, that, that's, that's a, a really big issue, you know, because with movement, it's not, <coughs> it's not just the movement of, of humans. It's also the movement of goods, the movement of, of the material that we need to build our infrastructure. So as you can imagine, there are a lot of restrictions, not just on players and officials who move in and out and within Palestine. There's also, uh, they cannot, these people cannot get, get their, their uh, football gear. We cannot get the, the materials to build the stadiums or renovate them. We cannot even, sometimes we cannot fix and maintain the stadiums and, and the facilities that we have. Uh, moving, sometimes gathering the team outside of Palestine is much easier than gathering it inside Palestine because there's, there's the issue, first, of movement between Gaza and the West Bank, the north, the governorates, and the south ones. And uh, where the, the, exception, the exception for the Israeli occupation is to let someone pass through from Gaza to the West Bank while... Uh, they, what, what is usual is that they deny them. Uh, well, sometimes it, within the West Bank, there are checkpoints, there are barriers that prevent them from, from being together. So they do not train as much inside Palestine as we want them to. And the players who come, we have some players who play in, in Europe. It's difficult to get them because, you know, they, they, they are on a tight schedule, most of them. They have commitments with their clubs. And it's not easy for them not to know if they are, will be able to, to enter or not. 
because you know coming even crossing the border between uh, into Palestine is sometimes is a torture. You know the LMB mm. bridge is, is one of the the, the most horrible uh, crossing points mm. on the face of the planet. That's right. Yeah. So uh, even now that's that's for for uh, for humans now. Uh, about the infrastructure, you know that we cannot build anything because m- most of our areas, even the occupied West Bank itself, which 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 is shrinking and shrinking every day because of the settlements. Uh, some areas we cannot build on, on. The only areas that we really control is is the central zones of the city, and you cannot build anything there. Mm. If you have to build, there is something what they call areas A and B and C. Mm. Uh, which which are actually within the the, the terms of the Oslo agree- agreement are are, with, are under the Palestinian uh, territories, but they control them. The Israelis control them, and we cannot build there until we get permits from them. So you can imagine how difficult it is to get these permits. Yeah, we, also. Know, we know how hard it the, is to get was, permits. Yeah. yeah. What, one of the mm. challenges too, Suzan, and you know we know about you know Mahmoud Sarsak and his hunger strike and you know, the targeting of, of our personnel. So aside from the challenges, um, you know, you talk from, from an occupation point of view, there's also the, the, the overwhelming, you know, pressure of w- whether it's the imprisonment uh, of players, whether it's, you know, the siege of Gaza, the house demolition of players. I know we lost three players in the last Gaza war. Can you talk to, mm. to that? In the, the, yeah, uh, yeah, the, sure. That, uh, that was, movement was only a small part of problem i didn't come to the other ones we have the movement issue we have human rights violations like killing players detaining players without trial uh, injuring players uh, arresting players or officials for that matter uh, the destruction of their facilities this is also something else you know there are a lot and sometimes you know they go as far as uh, as to to use their political apparatus of the state to influence uh, Decisions that are only within the field of football that sh- that should be that should be in football, like what happened in the last Congress when the Israeli government dictated the agenda of the FIFA Congress. So they are ready to go as far. Uh, Sarsak was one example, but you know we have we have like tens and sometimes hundreds of players mm-hmm. who were harassed and and uh, molested and some of them arrested. We had players that have been killed without a reason. It just there is there is was one here near Betin, which is a, which, which is a small town near Ramallah. I remember this player so well because I knew that guy. He was mm. such such a nice little boy, you know, of of sixteen, seventeen, and he was a shepherd. Mm. So after 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 play, he would go take his his sheep to the side of the hill. To, to graze, and you know he was he was getting back home with the sheep, and they shot him. Hmm. Uh, so so it's 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 you know, what happens is unbelievable, you know. Yeah. It cannot happen in the modern world of today. Yeah. But it Suzanne, what, what about in FIFA? I know we've had um, there's been movement with respect to the settlement teams competing within the Israeli league, and obviously this is contravention of you know all sorts of international norms and, and law. But there's been a movement into FIFA to have these uh, these teams uh, banned? Believe me, there is nothing controversial about it. There is a precedent that has been up where, where the FIFA was very clear and the UEFA was very clear in, 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 in saying that that case is a clear breach of the FIFA statutes. Because, you know, 
you have this uh, rule in FIFA statutes that said the, the football association in a country is the sole governing body of football in the territories of that country. You know, nobody in the world uh, says that the, uh, they name it. It's, it's the occupied, even the Israelis themselves, they know it's occupied mm. Palestinian territories. So it's Palestinian territories. Mm. There is no dispute about that. They know it. They know it. That's why we have so many supporters in, in the Israeli left, you know, who are who are standing with us on that issue. FIFA knows it, but I think nobody wants to hold the hot potato. But they it's getting closer every Israel. time, isn't it? They did it with Russia. They did it with Russia. And, you know, the Russians, with all their power, they complied to the rule of law. When they, they, were, gov- were, they were running football in the Crimea, mm-hmm. and FIFA and UEFA said, no, you cannot do that. So... They said, okay, they withdrew from there, and they let the Crimeans govern their own football. Now, with Israel, nobody wants to hold the hot potato because it's Israel. Even even, even uh, a superpower like Russia had to comply, but when it comes yes. to Israel, everybody is too scared to touch this card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we're, we're still fighting that, that battle in, in FIFA, with mm. now... If, even if if it doesn't work in FIFA, we're going to the court uh, of sport arbitration. We already had a case there mm. against the decision that was made by the FIFA president, uh, which we think he illegally took the vote out of a motion that we proposed to the FIFA council to recognize our rights, our full rights as any other member has. So if FIFA does not vote, that one member associate that does not allow a vote to be taken a vote on a motion that asks everybody else to recognize that we are equals, then I think we have a serious problem. Suzanne, tell us about the Palestine Football Association and how it improved uh, football and its infrastructure since its inception in the 90s. Uh, Well, uh, when we got the full membership in in FIFA, I think this was in 1998, Mm. <clears throat> when we were recognized as a as a full member, that was after the the Oslo agreements, and after that, when the second Intifada started, we were uh, at risk of losing our membership because of the of uh, you know the incursion that took place of the whole West Bank and Gaza. Then uh, suspended the league, prevented playing, and we were seven years almost without any leagues going. And you know, if you if you if the league stops in a country. Then the, suspe- the, the suspension is, is a risk because even, an if, even if it stops risks, for uh, the reasons beyond your control. Uh, well, that's the, that's why we had to do something about this because yes, even if it's reasons without our control, we cannot play football. We have the risk of losing our membership. So at that time, Mr. Blatter came to, uh, through through the political channels in the country and told them, "Hey, you are going to lose your membership. You are." L- going to lose that, you are going to do something about it. So I think uh, the interest in football at that time was at the top political level in Palestine. It was the president then who said, okay, we have to to find someone who can actually do it. That's when they brought General uh, Rajoub to take over, and I I think he did did a a great job with that, because, you know, it was like he, he, uh, he he took the football in Palestine out of that danger zone. It was very difficult, you know, to start a league that, that was dead. Clubs and players who were not training, uh, 
you know, it, it was like like uh, getting something out of the ashes. But we finally it took us uh, some years to to do it, to start all over, even to to become professional to start professional football. But uh, in the end, we did it. First, it was important to us to to show the flag, you know, to participate. Participation uh, was the policy of the association. Then we put everything we have into participating in regional and and uh, uh, continental uh, competitions to show that okay, we are still there. We are not out of the game. But now I think it's the time to move beyond that and to actually compete with the best of the teams. And and we're taking the first steps in that. Now, um, Suzanne, we're heading towards the end of the interview, but I would like to ask you maybe two questions. Uh, the first one is if you could share with us more stories about players who were um, um, things that you have seen as a first hand. And uh, from there, maybe if uh, you could uh, deliver a message to Australian audience and to people who love sport in general in the world. So... Uh, the mic is yours, and um, uh, if you could share with us some story. Well, there are so many stories to, to share, you know, and uh, I would I would hate to, to, to end this interview with the painful ones, you know. It's, but it's, you know, it's very difficult to see... Maybe a story and uh, then following, uh, following that, a message. <clears throat> well, let me start with the message, you know. In the end... Football or all sports are tools of peace, you know. It's, I'd rather see young people uh, uh, building camaraderie between them, uh, joining together for, for, uh, in, in sportsmanship than uh, being in the street or, or just having to live under all the oppression of, of a, very, a very difficult occupation. Um, you know, our, our young guys, if you see them uh, in the street, you know, they live under that, that occupation. You see them at the checkpoints throwing stones at, at, the, at the Israeli soldiers because they are frustrated because of the fact that they do not or they are not able to live like the rest of the youth of the world. We try uh, through sports to give them a better future, you know, to give them something to compete, to compete between themselves and others in, in uh in, a spo- in sportsmanship, uh, we'd rather see them living in, in, in peace than being tormented by the occupation. I don't understand why the Israelis are, are the Israeli occupation is, is restricting and, and strangling our football because if they really look for peace, because if they want peace, they would, would encourage this, not, not discourage it. But in the end, I think what they want and what they are after. They don't want to live, want us to live at all. Well, you know, like place, somebody, yeah. somebody once said, somebody from South Africa once said that, you know, in, in South Africa, they wanted the blacks as slaves. In Palestine, they don't want you at all. Yeah, there's no question that's the truth there, Suzanne. And, and just quickly, I think one of the things we should, uh, the best, perhaps the best way to end the interview is to con- with a congratulations. I mean, Palestine is number 91 in the world, in, in, uh, in uh, the world rankings. And under such adverse situations where half the population is outside of Palestine, one third is under occupation and illegal siege within Gaza. All the challenges you've got with respect to facilities, training, the diaspora Palestinians who are part of the team. It's a really wonderful effort. Congratulations to you and all the team. Well, thank you.
Thank you very much. With this, uh, we have come to the end of this week's episode of Palestine. Remembered and our guest from Ramallah from Occupied Palestine, Miss Suzanne Shalabi from the Palestine Football Association. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Palestine Remembered and Remember. To tune in next Saturday, same time, 9.30 in the morning. Until then, have a great time and salam. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.